Some of you know the Songs of Ascent, one we just sang, are always very fitting to sing on our trip to the, the New Jerusalem, the, the New Promised Land. Our reading of the text is Revelation 2, verses 8 to 11. These words, the author of them, he's described in 1, verse 12, and Apostle John, it says in 1, verse 12, he turned to see the voice that spoke with him, and when he turned, he saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice, as the sound of many waters, He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. That we can appreciate particularly this morning. And the Apostle John, when he saw him, he, he fell at his feet as dead. That is the magnificent picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the author of what we read now in 2 verse 8 to 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who is dead and came to life. I know your works, Tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. You may be tested. You will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. You as an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You overcomes, shall not be hurt by the second death. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are so blessed to live in Canada. For many of us, or all of us here, perhaps the worst opposition we've ever faced is laughter, unkind words, an odd look, or, and, a 
financial burden. So not to downplay this, this can be incredibly difficult. Yet at the same time, living in our living in this this time, 21st century stories from across the oceans shock us when we hear of our brothers and sisters being treated much worse. As you know, here in Canada, we churchgoers have enjoyed relative peace for hundreds of years because we've been in the majority at a time and a sizable minority for decades. Through channels like ARPA, we keep hearing news, however, that indicates that open opposition to the best way of life is growing. And still, the open opposition is nothing compared to how bad it was in the ancient Middle East, present-day Turkey, a couple millennia ago, and that's what we read about. And so a letter like this helps us relate more to our brothers and sisters around the globe than it, than it speaks to our own situation. And yet at the same time, we do do well to take these words to heart because we do also face opposition, if it's, even if it's not open. But also, the open opposition does seem to be growing. And so let us be encouraged then by the words of our loving King. I bring to you the Lord's words under this theme and these points. The one who died and rose again brings comfort and encouragement to you who are hurting for his sake. And we see, first of all, in 8b and 9, the comfort that he knows our pain. We see, secondly, the assurance that he's in control of our suffering. And third, the reward for enduring persecution. To the one who died and rose again brings comfort and encouragement to you who are hurting for his sake. Brothers and sisters, some context is beneficial before you really get to hear the first point. Context describes the giver of these words That is to say, Jesus Christ, who is the first and the last. He's the one who gives you these words of comfort. And he makes reference to Isaiah 44, verse 6, by using this title, first and the last. And Isaiah, it says there, I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. By identifying himself as the first and the last, the Lord Jesus makes it clear that he is God. He was involved in creation. We know from Colossians 1 verse 16, he's the one who made the sun that shines on us today. Why did he make it so clear that he was God? In the past, the people of Smyrna lived in a city where the Roman emperor at the time was 
adored like a god, lifted up. The Lord Jesus set himself up in opposition to the emperor. Some believe it was Emperor Nero and others Emperor Domitian. The Lord Jesus is God and he is to be worshipped as such. Nero and Domitian, they're just human like us. They're not worthy of worship. And therefore, here in Canada, it was interesting and somewhat distressing to note the cover of Reader's Digest before the election. It read the second coming of Trudeau. It's hard to miss the connection being made to the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Related to this is the fact that many Canadians have far too big a hopes of and expectations from Ottawa. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has power, but it's nothing compared to that of King Jesus. Sometimes we might be tempted to think it too good to be true, but it's no fairy tale, says the Bible. His power is real. And King Jesus' very real power is further displayed in his greeting when he says, I am the one who was dead and came to life. So in other words, his power extends even over death itself. It's good to understand that in the first century, there was a popular belief that the Emperor Nero would come back from the dead. So his pulse start working again. According to Greek historian Dio Chrysostom, Everybody wished Nero was still alive. And he likely exaggerated, but many did really want their emperor back from the dead. So this really shows how great a trust the people placed in their emperors rather than in King Jesus. Some seriously thought that Nero was going to come back from the dead. Now, he never did, of course. He has no, no pulse today. He never had a pulse since he was laid or however, however he died. But here's the big contrast then. King Jesus says to you, I'm not in the grave still. I've risen again. And I have the ultimate power. And not only is his power incredible, and this is where our first point begins in earnest. King Jesus truly knows what great distress, what tears, what heartache, what mockery, and what physical pain are all about. No one understands our suffering more than our risen king. His suffering makes the pain of some Christians look like one teardrop in a pond. The pain he experienced is really beyond our comprehension. Since the Christians in Smyrna suffered pain, 
it must have been so comforting for them to hear from the one who was faithful until death itself. When we suffer, it's not, sometimes nice to hear from people who have been there. And the Lord Jesus has been down the road of suffering like none other. So when the Lord says that he knew their affliction and their poverty, he communicated from first-hand experience. The Lord Jesus went down a road before them and he overcame. He won. And because our Lord rose again, he clearly has the power in both life and death. There was nothing that they went through that he was not able to help them through. His power was and it is sufficient in any crisis. What were the afflictions and the poverty of the brothers and sisters in Smyrna like? Well, to understand their suffering, it's helpful to understand some details about the city of Smyrna. Commentator I found helpful, Kistemacher, estimates the population to have been about 500,000. So boys and girls, perhaps you've made the trip to Hamilton before, and maybe you came down Highway 6, and you got a bit of a view of at least some of, some of Hamilton, although it's more, maybe more Burlington you see there, but... Point being, the population, Hamilton's about 500,000, and the population of Smyrna was about 500,000. And in this ancient population, there was a significant number of wealthy Jews. And at least one Jew in ancient Smyrna contributed a lot of money towards the city's building projects. Just to give you an idea of the wealth. So they were very rich compared to the poor Christians of Smyrna. And in addition, it's good to know that the poverty of the Christians was linked to how the economy of the city was set up. To get ahead in that ancient economy, you had to participate at least a little bit in the adoration of the emperor. The trade guilds at the time were very religious, and to get ahead, you had to often be part of a pagan trade guild. These pagan guilds were at least as bad as corrupt unions today. And so those who wanted to do what was best, they suffered economically. And that's because they, would, they could not join the trade guilds, or because sometimes they were expelled from the trade guild. If you refused to compromise in Smyrna, you not only suffered economically, but you could have been arrested. Why are they arrested? Refusal to join in pagan worship was seen as treachery against the ancient Roman Empire. The Roman government, however, made an exception for the Jews of old. Their religion was given special status in the empire and they had freedom of worship, just like we are enjoying this morning. For a while, the early Christians enjoyed this status as well, 
Because many ancient Romans thought that the Christians were a Jewish sect of some sort. When it became clear to many Romans that Christianity was a different religion altogether, that's sadly when the persecution often began. Now, how did the Romans learn that the Christians were different from the Jews at the time? We can think of Acts 17, verse 6, when the Christian Jason and some of his brothers were dragged before the city authorities by ancient Jews, and these Jews shouted, These men, who have turned the world upside down, have come here also. This happened in Thessalonica. So often the Romans persecuted Christians because the ancient Jews made them look bad and accused them of being a threat to society. And though the Jews at the time called themselves the people of God, most of them sadly did not act like it. Now, some of them were some of them were Christians. We remember at Pentecost that some of the, the Jews also also became Christians. So it wasn't all of them. Now in Canada we sometimes see this happening as well. There are many people in Canada who call themselves Christian but are not are not struggling to do what's best. Worse yet, some of them even go out of their way to make life miserable for the authentic people of God. And so all over Canada, sadly, we have a number of fake people of God working to make life miserable for those working for a better country. So brothers and sisters, thankfully, the risen Lord Jesus knows your affliction and your poverty. In Ontario and other provinces, the Lord Jesus is very aware of the injustices done towards Christians. The Lord Jesus sees the mockery, the harassment, and the unfairness. He sees the increasing threats on freedom of belief and the lack of fair funding in the school system. It's, un- it's comforting that King Jesus is aware of the impoverishing effect this injustice has. Whatever injustices which are committed against you, they're not escaping his attention. And also as King Jesus was aware of the affliction of his people in Smyrna, so he is also aware of the pain in this area. Citizens who stand up for certain causes face injustice. And King Jesus says to you this morning, I'm aware of everything that happens here. Boys and girls, some of you might have been made fun of because you tried to stand up for what's attractive, for what's right. Perhaps in the workplace, we face mockery on account of believing in reality. Injustice is everywhere in Canada, and we Christians, among others, we feel the pain of it. And thankfully, the living Lord, his pulse is beating. Who came back from the grave, he says, I know exactly what is going on. And thus he says to you with much faith that you are rich. This is what the Lord Jesus also said to those in Smyrna with much faith. 
And so then we see that looks were deceiving. To Smyrna's eyes, they looked poor. But they were the richest people in the city because of their faith. They have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. 1 Peter 1 verse 4. The ancient evil people have nothing but punishment. And so the Jews who slandered them had lots of cash, but their money was nothing compared to what the early Christians had. And besides the promise of an inheritance beyond one's dreams, the Christians were also comforted by something else. It's also comforting that the risen Lord knew the slander of the Jews. Our Lord Jesus referred to those who said they were Jews, but they were really not. Why were they not really Jews? Well, as you might know, after the resurrection, the true Jews were and are the followers of Jesus Christ. Believers, we might not have Jewish blood, but we believers are the true Israel, and that's why we can also sing psalms like Psalm 126 with much meaning, and, and all the psalms, even though they weren't written for us in the first place, but for the Jews. So these people in what is now called Turkey were Jews by blood, but not real followers of God. And they were called a synagogue of Satan because like the Jews who crucified Jesus of Nazareth, they did not believe Jesus to be God. Worshipping a crucified criminal who supposedly rose from the dead and was supposedly divine was downright offensive to them. And because of this, they slandered the early Christians. We saw already that the ancient Jews slandered the Christians in front of the Roman authorities. Thankfully for the Christians in Turkey, the risen Lord was not ignorant of this slander. Brothers and sisters, nothing escapes him today either. When people who call themselves followers of God and really are not slander you, King Jesus is aware. His pulse is beating. Perhaps people speak evil of your office bearers for doing right, or speak evil of you for doing what's best. Well, King Jesus knows about this. King Jesus is in full control of our suffering. And it's easier to deal with what people think or say because the risen Lord is sovereign over suffering. It's not purposeless and it's not by chance. Suffering believers say that there's little that's more comforting than this. The sovereignty of the Lord Jesus. Knowing that he is in control. Now in the case of these Christians in modern day Turkey, the Lord Jesus told them in advance that some of them were actually going to jail. Normally this wouldn't resonate with me with me much, but I was actually walking around Owen Sound yesterday, and I surprisingly got called in, and so I actually had to speak to the, to the police, and it all got cleared up very quickly, of course, but somebody thought I was in, somebody thought I was in distress, I guess I was thinking about the sermon too hard and too much. <laughs> So this, this resonates with me a lot more than it, it normally would. 
But they, they had so much more to, to deal with than us. And what's reassuring is to see that the imprisonment, the, the persecution of the early Christians in today's Turkey was, was 10 days. What's comforting here is that, literal or not, it, it's a time with a fixed beginning and also a fixed end. Lord Jesus knew the exact number of days. So what a comfort that every second was known and also controlled by our sovereign king. The ancient Jews and the Romans, they thought they were in control, just like governments on the planet. Many of them think too highly of themselves. But the reality is that King Jesus allows persecution to happen, also for, for the good of believers, although that can be very hard to understand at times. But it, it's only for the time that our loving King allows the devil, the governments, and all anti-Christian forces, they're on a leash. And this leash, you may have heard this example before, it can get longer, it can get shorter. All depends, right, on what the owner of the leash wants. Perhaps you've been the one with the leash in your hand. And so... When we face opposition, although it's hard, let us continue to strive to not let thoughts of fear control us, but rather, let's remember that King Jesus has the leash on the evil forces, and let's remember that he is good. He loved you so much, he suffered and he died for you. He also rose again so that he has the power over all evil. Also know that the love of the Lord Jesus is so great for his people, he promises a reward to those who remain faithful. Generally, the citizens of Smyrna were known for their loyalty to ancient Rome. However, the faithful one until death himself, Jesus Christ, called his followers to be loyal to him. Lord Jesus was faithful unto death, and so he called his followers to be the same. Polycarp of Smyrna was an example of such loyalty to our king. He was at least 86 when he was sentenced to die, and he died on February 23rd, 155 AD. You might know that when given the choice to recant his faith, and save himself from the flames, he said, 86 years have I served Christ, and he's never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And Polycarp received his crown of life that February 23rd. With the perspective of faith, we can see that it must have been the best day of his life. The suffering is so incredibly short compared to eternity. It can be hard to see that sometimes when we're made fun of or we suffer financially. And yet it's a thousand times better to suffer for a little while and receive one's crown than to run from one's crown by avoiding suffering. Hard for us to keep that perspective. 
We can think of the comforting words, though, that we hear of at profession of faith services. 1 Peter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, switching gears a bit, it's fascinating that the Christians of ancient Smyrna were all promised a crown by the Lord Jesus. Smyrna was known for its beautiful buildings, including temples, and the buildings were arranged in such a way that people thought of a crown when they saw them. And this image would have continually reminded the people of the promise, just like if you were made a promise of something that reminded you of a significant landmark here in Owen Sound, perhaps a certain part of the lake or, or maybe Inglis Falls. Excuse me if I didn't say that quite correctly. And so a, a crown resonated with them greatly because they had this landmark. And it would have resonated with them greatly for another reason as well. Instead of receiving a Stanley Cup or an Olympic medal in ancient days, the winners of athletic games were crowned. And this was a tremendous honor, and it was highly sought after. However, the Spirit of God points out that these crowns did not last. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25. But the crown of life, it does last forever. But it's so hard for us to have a grasp of forever. Boys and girls, this might be helpful if we think of our oldest relative's age for a moment. Maybe he or she is 80 or 90 years old. So that's, if we're four or five, that's it's pretty hard to wrap our, our mind around, but at least we have somebody in our head. And now if we think about living twice that long, and we're at 180 years. And then if we think three times, we're at 270 years. And ten times, we're at 900 years. And that's a sliver of grass among millions on the lawn when you compare 900 years to eternity. Eternity. Who can fathom eternity? I think sometimes we look up at the stars, if it's exceptionally dark, and we can just look, and it feels like we can just look and look and look, and the view doesn't seem to end. Now, if we try and take that concept and apply it to time, which is, which is hard to do, but it somewhat captures the sense of just going on. So that, that gives us perspective in life, also when we have struggles. This, this life is really like a minute. 60 seconds going by. Now we see also the Lord Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 11. And so the Lord Jesus bids you to hear what the faithful will miss out on. King tells us that if we overcome, we will not be hurt at all by the second death. We read about the lake of fire in Revelation 21. It's a terrible place. Think of what happened in history to Polycarp. He felt the heat of the fire for a number of minutes, and by suffering this, he escaped the unquenchable fire. 
The second death, it highlights the fact that our king is a just king. He's far more just than even the best judge in Canada. King Jesus is completely fair towards us as eternal creatures. Evil doesn't get off the hook with him. Doesn't treat evil lightly like some judges. With King Jesus, justice gets done. So, we do not need to be afraid if we keep repenting, if we keep remaining faithful to the one who died and who rose again. His pulse is beating. And it's also good to realize that what we suffer is nothing compared to what the suffering of those who might be opposing us at this time. This makes us even pity them at times. Because trusting in Jesus Christ, we are safe. Death is the way out for those who love the Lord. Death is actually the final door to safety. And it's more and more believers learn that it's a delight to be with the Lord Jesus. We see in the Middle East right now that sometimes it acts like a fire exit for believers. There's great distress, and it's the door to safety and fantastic blessings. Death puts an end to the pain, and people begin to live happily forever. A good ending to our life stories is thankfully possible in our Savior. And this is possible because in his death, our Lord experienced the justice that we deserve. We confess in the Apostles' Creed that in a sense, he suffered hell for our sake. And knowing that helps. Because the way of the Christian way is not an easy road. But it is the best road. And our Lord knows that well. Because he's been there first. So if you are a new guest for the first time today, or sorry, if you're a guest for the first time today, Lord Jesus says to you, turn. Turn from your way. He says, come to me. Sin, evil, it's miserable. If you take and stick to the hard but beautiful road of repentance, I will save you from the lake of fire. I will give you a crown one day. There will be a lot of broken promises this coming year. Lord Jesus, he never breaks a promise. That's something all of us can keep counting on, even when there's a lot of bad news. Continually turning away from other thoughts, continuing to count on him. That's the best thing we can all do this week again. Amen.